Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Uh, he's still risen, amen? amen? He's risen indeed. Just checking. Getting you ready for next year. <laughs> uh, I have to echo, I'm so proud of you inviting your friends. I'm so proud of you uh, connecting with people online to come and watch and to come be a part of Easter. Uh, the people that gave their life to Jesus, that never gets old. That's what the church is all about. And you heard in the video that our work and our mission is to tell people about the love of God, the love of Jesus. You are the only Bible that some people will ever read. You are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. Just think about that. A lady stopped me after last service and said, wow, tears in her eyes. I'm the only Bible that some people will ever read. I said, yeah. You have friends and family members that never crack their Bible open. They just look at you. They just read you. You have friends that never see Jesus? Yep. They don't even call his name, but they see Jesus in you. What would it be like if the powerful resurrection of Jesus, like the scripture says, lived inside of our bodies? And what if, like Jesus, he even commanded that out of our innermost being would flow rivers of what kind of water? Living water, making a difference in the lives of other people. So we're starting a series called Rising Above, Living as Jesus Intended. And it will be a challenging series. Keep coming back, though. Don't say, let's wait till there's something less challenging. Because Pastor John and I are going to teach through a series of messages. What did Jesus ask us to do? And will we respond with the affirmative and say, yeah, Lord, here I am. Speak, your servant is listening. I'll, I'll go do whatever you want to do. Somebody told me recently uh, their prayer request was for a new boldness. For many years, they followed Jesus, but there was not a boldness in their life. So I texted them back, and I just want you to know today, I'm praying that you would be bold and strong, for the Lord your God is with you. And they said, oh, thanks for reminding me what my prayer was. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be great if we were all bold for the Lord? So in Holy Week, we have what's called the Last Supper. And Jesus used that to kind of do a deep dive into Peter's heart. Hey, Peter. And Peter responds, Lord, you can count on me. I'll never deny you. I'll never desert you. I will never mess up. By the way, Jesus, I'm going to love you more than all the rest of the disciples. You just can't wash my feet. <laughs> and I love this about the story of Peter, it's a post-resurrection ministry of Jesus. No matter how much we mess up, Jesus never gives up on us. Is that good news or what? Maybe I'm the only one that's ever messed up in here. I would venture a guess I'm not the only one. So the Last Supper, right before Jesus is arrested, he's tried and crucified. It might be the Last Supper, but it's not the last meal. And I love the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, it's kind of like going to a football game and sitting in four different locations. You get the report of the play from four different vantage points. 
And the four different gospel writers kind of have a different vantage point watching the the crucifixion, the resurrection, hearing the stories. Of course, they didn't go to the cross, only one did. And none of them were at the tomb waiting. As we said last week, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. He's going to rise any moment. It's the third day. No one was there, but they heard about him. They heard the story. Uh, Matthew's gospel records that there was an earthquake and the angel rolls away the stone. And the angel tells the women at the tomb, to tell the disciples and meet Jesus in the Galilee. The story of Mark, the same angel tells the women to go and meet Jesus up on Galilee. But in Mark's story, the women are afraid. And many believe they didn't tell anyone. Mark 16, though, here's what the angel said. Do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has, he is not. Yeah, see the place where they laid him, past tense. But go tell the disciples and Peter. Could you imagine? You're Peter. And the Lord cares enough about you to not only rise from the dead, but make sure that your name is mentioned. I believe that he knows our name. He knows what you're facing today. He knows what you're going to go through tomorrow. I'm not prophesying you're going to go through something tomorrow, but in case you do, he knows your name. And it's remarkable. I want Peter to know. Hey, how does it feel when we mess up? How does it feel when uh, we doubt the Lord? How does it feel when, as we talked about this morning already in worship, that it's easy to say, oh, you are good. You are good. Oh, you are good when things are going well. But it's harder to say you're good when things are not going so well or we feel mistreated or misunderstood or someone who's promised us something. It doesn't come to pass, kind of like Peter had promised Jesus. In John 20, verse 26 and 27, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. You remember him? Yeah, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put put your finger here, see my hands, and put your hand right here in my side. And then he says, stop doubting and, and believe. Could I take the words of Jesus and speak them over you today? Peace be with you. I like it. Let me do it again. Peace be with you. And then more to church. Yeah, liturgical church. And also with you, right? Come on. It's called the passing of the peace. Peace be with you. Well, let's say it together. Peace be, be, be with you. And also with you. Thank you. And then he says, stop doubting and believe. Could I bless you with that same blessing? Stop doubting, and believe. He knew Thomas could not live life as he intended if he was going to embrace his doubts. So he goes to the umph degree to, to say, touch, touch my nail-scarred hand. Put your hand in my side. Notice in just these two quick passages, go tell Peter, 
And Thomas, I want you to know that you don't need to doubt. I speak peace into your life. See, Jesus shows up in places where we believe we cannot find him. As a pastor and a chaplain, I've, I've seen him in the ICU. I've seen him in the ER. I've met him at the mortuary. I've met him at the graveyard. In the darkest of moments when people say, where is the Lord? Can we find him? He's there. God doesn't run from crisis and chaos. God doesn't run from confusion. God doesn't run from doubt. God doesn't even run from people who mess up and deny him. Thank God. And all through scriptures, we have the God of the second chance, and sometimes the third chance, and the fourth chance, and the 50th chance. Anybody say, that's me too. So let me take you to John 21. It's a, it's a long passage, but it says afterwards in verse 1, Jesus appeared again to disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And Peter said, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> we'll go with you, the other disciples said. So they all went and got into the boat. Now, when Peter said, I'm going fishing, some scholars believe that he was running from the assignment God had given him. Remember when Peter and the other disciples were called, today you fish for fish, but I will make you fishers of, of men. So he defaults back to the comfortable, to the familiar. Let me go back to what I know. And even in that, there's another denial of the call of God on his life. And it says that they got in the boat and they caught absolutely, positively nothing. Man, I hope you can feel their discouragement. They fished all night. And early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus and he called out to them, friends, haven't you caught any fish? Now, he knows he's God. He knows they got zero, nada in the nets. There's nothing there. And so he says, you throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And we know from the story they didn't just find some. They found many, a large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is John writing about himself, John the Beloved, the one that Jesus loved. Every time John writes uh, an encounter with Jesus, that's what he says. Uh, 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 the disciple he loved, hello, I'm first. This is John. Thank you, John, for your arrogance. We appreciate it. <laughs> the disciple whom Jesus loved said, hey, hey, Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment. I don't know if you see him, but I see him just jumping into the water like a puppy dog chasing a toy or a stick, just jumping out in the water. And the rest of the disciples followed the boat, towing the net full of fish, and for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning, uh, like a wood fire, like uh, red oak in the big thing that Winnie doesn't know much about, burning coals there with fish on it. In other words, Jesus already was making breakfast. Now, if I was Jesus rising from the dead, I would be wanting to make a big speech and gather, oh, five, ten, fifteen thousand people, like he fed the multitude, the five thousand plus. But but notice how intimate Jesus is. He comes, he makes sure, first of all, that that, that Thomas doesn't doubt. He makes sure, first of all, that Peter's name is spoken. Go tell the disciples and Peter, 
And then he wants to have not a last supper, but a last meal. Come and let us have breakfast. It sounds good, doesn't it? Right by the shore. They're going to have some fish, right? They're going to have bread. By the way, where did Jesus get the oven to make the bread? Where did he get the flour and the yeast and the eggs? Come on. See, Jesus has the power to bypass all natural bakery laws and just say, let there be bread. How do you know that, Pastor? Where's your proof text? The fishies and the loaves. He kept breaking off filet fish and they kept reappearing. He kept breaking bread and more bread appeared. There was so much bread that everybody had their fill and even the disciples, 12 baskets were left. A reminder of how the Lord supernaturally provides for his people always. And none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord and Jesus came. He took the bread and gave it to them as he did with the fish. This is now the first time, Jesus, the third time Jesus appeared. Jesus is big on meals. The Bible is big on meals. The prodigal son returns back to his father and his father says, let's kill the fatted calf and let's have a meal, man. We think of the Passover meal that commemorated the fact that they put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost and the families were spared from death. And we think of the last supper. So many meals in scripture. Jesus even said in Revelation 3, 20, uh, I want to knock on your door. He's speaking to the church that has pushed him out. And if you open your door, I'll come in and we'll have supper together. There's something powerful when you have a meal with someone. Not just when you eat the food and, and look at your plate or have your phone in your hand and look at your plate, but, but when you have a meal with someone and you converse. I, I've been with men, big burly men, the kind of men that never share. You put them be, behind a little like eight ounce cup and they feel safe. I don't know what it is. Or you put them behind a, a, a plate of tri-tip and they'll talk life story. Take all that away, forget it. They'll go back to just being quiet and shy. So Jesus knows there's something about an intimate relationship around a meal. And it says in verse 15, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, some scholars believe he was referring to the fish. Do you, do you love me more than these? You love me more than your enterprise of catching fish and making money? Some believe he was saying, do you love me more than these? The other disciples, remember Jesus said, even if all of them fail you, I will never fail you. He could have been saying that. Do you love me more than going back to your default kind of life, your comfortable, familiar life? And of course, Peter said, um, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Why are you asking me this question? And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Uh, some believe he's talking about feed the lambs, the ones who don't fully know me yet, like the young in Christ. Others believe he's talking about the next generation. I, I take it that way. Feed the little kids, man. Make children and youth a priority. Now, this church has always done that for 82 years. We've cared about kids and we've invested in, in children and we've scholarship kids and we've helped kids get to camp and, and we try to do the best possible children's ministry that we can here. And then he says, uh, by the way, uh, do you love me? <laughs> yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Many believe that he asked him three times, do you love me? Because it was three times that Peter denied the Lord. Let's go back and and regroup here for a minute, Peter. Do you love me? Peter was hurt, offended. I can't believe he's asking me three times, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus Christ comes back from the dead. He serves breakfast and he asks this huge question, do, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Can I ask you a question today? Do you you really love the Lord? It's a big question. Do you love, do you love? Well, how about Jesus asking it? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's interesting that Jesus uses the word agapeo, which means a committed, dedicated, servanthood kind of love. (laughs) And Peter responds with the word phileo, which is brotherly love which is kind of like this. Do you love me, Peter? I just died on a cross for you. I just came back. I have a meal with you, Peter. A meal I put together. A meal I I created the the guest list too, Peter. I asked you to bring some fish because you didn't want to come to the meal without bringing something. So I asked you to bring some fish. But, 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 But Peter, do you love me? And it's like Jesus saying, yeah, I like you, Lord. I like you. Now, I'm gonna throw my hat in the ring of opinion. I I could be wrong. I could be right. I wonder if Peter was saying, I don't want to overcommit here because I I blew it. I told you, I won't deny you. You won't even wash my feet. I, I, I made all these promises to you, Lord, but I failed three times. I was even asked if I knew you, and I lied. I don't know. I I have nothing to do with this man. I don't even know him. Think about that. So maybe, let's give Peter the benefit of doubt. Lord, yeah, I, 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 I like you. I mean, we could be friends, right? Hey, Peter, I love you. Committed, dedicated, full-on love, Peter. And there's nothing you could do, Peter, that would stop me from loving you. Somebody probably needs to hear this today. There's nothing you could ever do that could stop the Lord from loving you. Yeah, but Pastor B, I denied him before. That's right. So did Peter. And the big question is, do, do you love him? And Peter's cautious answer is, Lord, I, I like you. I like you. When Peter was still stinging from his own failure, he was unable to receive the grace and the love and the promise of love that Jesus had asked him to do. Now, we understand about love because the commandment is this, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and and might, and strength. And I don't know about you, but there's times that I would have to confess that there's sometimes I love Jesus less than all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But even, and here's the beauty of it, with an incomplete love that Peter has, though it's genuine, Jesus receives his love and gives him an assignment. He doesn't scold him. Now, I don't know if any of you in here are scolders. 
A, a scolder is someone that says, do you know what you did? And their juggler veins pop out sometimes, a little frustrated, a little anger rises. Do you, you, I need an explanation of why you did what you did. No, none of you do. Ever. Maybe to your dog. You better tell me what. <laughs> Maybe you've had it done to you. And of all the people that could have bony-fingered scolded Peter, it would be Jesus. You denied me. You promised me. You made a commitment to me. And what did he do? He comes back in love and in grace, and he says, can, can, can we have a meal together on the shoreline? Can we have a meal together by the fire? Hey, Peter, do you love me? I'm reinstating you, Peter. I'm giving you a fresh assignment. Lambs, sheep, and sheep, Peter. I'm counting on you, Peter. Now you're looking at your outline going, this guy's never going to get done. I am. Jesus wants you to know, number one, that you're not forsaken. And because of that, we can rise up and follow him as he intends us for us to, to live and how we should live. You may be guilty of letting the Lord down, even of outright denying his name. But he wants you to know that he's not forsaken you. Peter, years later, would, would write this in 1 Peter 2.9, but, but you are a chosen people. How would he be able to say that? Because he was chosen. And then he says this, you're a royal what? Priesthood a what? You're God's special possession. By the way, that phrase in the Greek language means you are set apart for God's exclusive use. Think about your life that way. He saved you not just to be saved. He saved you so you'd save others. He, he redeemed you not so you would just be redeemed. He redeemed you so you could live a redemptive life yourself. And that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. I, I think he might be hearkening back to that meal. Peter feeling in darkness. Peter wondering if Jesus cared about him. And all of a sudden, he meets Jesus, the light of the world, and understands that God has a place for him no matter what. I love that word priesthood. Uh, years ago, I had a Lutheran pastor friend. He was a cool guy. And I asked him about the priesthood. I said, um, you're Lutheran, which means you have connection back to a guy named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King, though phenomenal guy, but... You have connection back to the Reformation. Study your church history. Martin Luther contended for the priesthood of every believer. Every member or minister. Every person has an assignment given to them by, by God. And I said to this Lutheran pastor, how's that working? Your denomination is based on Reformation. Your denomination is based on every person a priest. He said, it's not working too good. For many, many years, we've allowed the clergy, the guys with the little collars, have a little gap in them to do the work. I'm going to share this with you now and probably say it again at the end. The world is looking for an authentic representation of Jesus Christ lived out through people just like 
you and me if they're ever going to encounter the love of God for themselves. The world is looking for an authentic representation, not a phony one. We got phony baloney religious people to last us a lifetime. They're looking for a, a safe and sane, <laughs> sometimes bold, some, sometimes radical. They're looking for people that are authentic in their love for Jesus. And I believe these words are echoing down the quarters of time to people like you and me. Jesus asked, do, do, you, do you love me? Then I have an assignment for you. He didn't say, do you love me? Do you, do you like to, to feel goosebumps when you're in my presence? Do you love me when you sing? 11 o'clock service? <laughs> will, you, will you love me 2.30 on Wednesday? Will you still love me tomorrow? We could write a song. But how about this? Yes, Lord, I love you. Speak for your servant is hearing. I want to make a difference on my campus at school. I, I want to make a difference in my neighborhood. I want the people across the street next to me in the same condo complex. I want the same people that, that live in my, my mobile home park. I said that once, and somebody said, it's not a mobile home. It's a prefactured, remanufactured building. Whatever it is you live in. People need to see the authentic representation of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit lived out through us. And it's you. He's saying, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and it won't be long after this that Peter would stand up and preach. Over 3,000 people would get saved just like that. Could you imagine? He didn't deny the Lord then, did he? Huh. And history says that when Peter was crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't even worthy of being crucified like his Lord. Wow. You came a long way, Peter. <laughs> you came a long way. Which is a great story to remind us that if we've blown it, if we failed, if we've denied the Lord, there's always redemption because we're not forsaken. The second thing is God wants you to know that you're forgiven. Good news. Last week I said this, our history ends with the cross and our future begins with the resurrection. Our history ends with the cross and our future begins with the resurrection. Nothing's gone too far that God cannot redeem. No one has gone too far that God cannot reinstate in the ministry. I love that. That means there's hope for me. Come on. And, and, and there's hope for you. And the third thing, Jesus wants you to know that he has a future for you in serving him. Serving him. Someone says, well, I know now. Now he's going to give us a pitch about serving in the nursery. Yep. I, I am. We're serving the children. Yep, I am. We'd love to add children's ministries to our 9 o'clock service. We, we can't serve our community at the 9 o'clock service of kids' ministry. We don't have enough workers. Got it? Good. But it's bigger than that. It's people where you work. Talk to a guy in the first service. He was in Cottage Hospital this week for a couple days. He was in the ER earlier, right after Easter. He was here Easter, and he went to the ER. They shipped him to Cottage Hospital with health problems. 
And he said, I met this, this nurse. Said, yeah, she works at the hospital. And somehow I brought up my faith. I thought, good for you, buddy. They got IVs going and stuff going and blood pressure cuffs and everything else. And, and he said, I went to church for Easter. How about you? She said, I was working. I guess she had an excuse. And he said, yeah, we had a great Easter. And she said, where do you go to church? She said, Lompoc Foursquare. Oh, I know all about that church. You do? He said, you ever gone? Nope. He said, but they brought us some really nice gift boxes with certificates and a mug, and their kids drew little pictures and thanked us for our work at the hospital. And he said to me, this last service, he said, thank you for leading that charge because I was able to talk more about my faith because she had a good connection with LFC because of a gift box. I thought, God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. Come on. He does. And that's something that you did through your finances. We were able to give 500 boxes away to first responders and hospital workers. And what does that have to do with anything? A lot. That's part of the priesthood. We were teaching our kids how to be generous and how to say, thank you, hospital worker. Thank you, Mr. Policeman, Mrs. Policeman. Thank you, firemen. They drew fire trucks. They were all cool. They had like 40-inch wheels, two-inch doors. That was great, man. One kid had a fire truck, and the truck was on fire. I thought, yay. May that never happen. (laughs) God has an assignment for you. There are people in your neighborhood that desperately need to see the love of Christ lived out in your life. Peter's big failure, denial, deceit, desertion. (laughs) And Jesus says, Peter, feed the lambs. Care for the lambs. Care for the sheep. Take care of people. When we run from Jesus, he pursues us. Just ask Jonah. When we goof up, God is there to give us grace. Just ask David. And just ask the man named Abraham, the father of faith, who had no faith when he decided to have a child named Ishmael. And God allowed him to have an Isaac. That's called a mulligan in Gulf. A do-over. See, God specializes in redeeming the lost. God specializes in redeeming us. When we drift from the Lord, he calls us back. So this whole series is going to be about this. It's going to be a little challenging. I pray you come back. Well, I'll wait till you preach one of those frou-frou messages that feel really good. Nine reasons why you should love yourself when you look in the mirror. I'll give you one reason why you should love yourself when you look in the mirror, because God loves you with an everlasting love. He can't love you any more than he does right now. But I'm hoping and praying through this series, we'll all rise up and take our place and take our space and say, Lord, speak because I'm listening. I will obey you, God. I will make a difference. And like my friend praying for boldness, I'll be bold for you. A couple weeks ago, Pastor John uses a a quote from N.T. Wright, and I found one today for this message. 
And here's what N.T. Wright says about this passage of Scripture we just read today. Here's the secret of all Christian ministry. Yours and mine lay and ordain full-time and part-time. If you're going to do any single solitary thing as a follower and servant of Jesus, this is what it's built on. Somewhere deep down inside, there is a love for Jesus, and though goodness knows you, like Peter, have let him down enough times, he wants to find that love, to give you a chance to express it, to heal the hurts and failures of the past, and give you a new work to do. God has more for you. God wants you to step up into your place and take your space and do what God has called you to do. The world is desperate to see an authentic representation of Jesus Christ lived out through your life and through my life. Let's do that. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.